0: Okay, so some of you will remember that uh, just over a year ago, we had uh, Phil Wilthew and his team from King's Arms Church in Bedford. They came and spent some time with us. And they helped us in the area of the prophetic, so that's where uh, words and pictures being shared uh, from God through us to one another to encourage each other. Um, and the morning after we'd all met together and had a great time in God's presence, um, a few of us met up with the team again, and they were going around the room. I'm praying for different people. And they got to me, and they started to pray for me. And to be honest with you, sometimes when people pray for you, you think, oh, it's really nice. But that's it. You just think, that's nice. It's encouraging. But there's no like profound, life-changing moment or anything like that. And I guess because they came as a a team where they're really prophetic, and you think, oh, come on, bring something that's going to change my life. Um, And then, as I'm thinking that, Suddenly, he says a very simple phrase that really did change my life. And that was that God is not done with you in Scotland yet. In that moment, I knew, like Matthew said, that we were going to go to Glasgow and plant a church and look to, to spread the word of God up there. But that moment led to a process because afterwards we had to, as the Bible says, we had to test it. And so we spent almost a year testing. Now the first thing I had to do, because Lindsay couldn't go unfortunately, was to persuade Lindsay that I hadn't gone nuts so um, I spent about I spent about a year talking, praying, praying again and praying again, and, and getting into the Bible and asking advice from really wise leaders in this church and in advance and other people that we know and we love, uh, and we we chatted it through and eventually we got to a point where we knew ah oh, yes we are this is this was from God this is something that we should go into, and, and so we announced a few weeks ago, and uh, actually what we realised then was the process is only just beginning. Because we do, we want to go to Glasgow, and we, we do, we're not just going, we, we wanna go there and see God do a work. We wanna see him establish a church that is pursuing the glory of God for Glasgow's good. And actually, that's a lifetime's work. That's a lifetime's process. And much of life is like that, where there is a moment in where you're changed or inspired to do something. But then there's a real process after that. Let me give you one example. Uh, I was at university, and I needed a part-time job um, just towards the end. And I decided I was going to do, uh, become a barman. Got given an opportunity to be a barman in a nightclub. And so went along, and um, I got a T-shirt and everything that said, Bar Staff on the back. Thought it was really cool. So I was Bar Staff in that moment. But let me tell you, if you'd ordered a drink from me that night, you might not have been that happy. I think the pints that I poured probably had more head than body in them. And I was probably a little bit too generous with the spirits. So, although I was bar staff, there was a process that had to take place before I became even mediocre as a barman. Life is like that. There's a a moment and a process. And actually, the same is true of the gospel the gospel comes to us in a moment, it transforms us in a moment, it changes us in a moment. For, but do you know what? There's a process that takes place after that. The gospel then changes us for a lifetime. Today we're continuing our series, A Better Way. Now we're looking at two books, uh, one is a letter to uh, a guy called Lehman, and one is a letter to... A church, called, uh, a church called Colossae, so the, the letters to the Colossians. And Philemon is a leader in the Colossian church. And the, the church in Colossae had been set up by this guy, Epaphras. He was a church planter. So he began this church in this uh, dusty, small, relatively insignificant town. But then he ends up in prison as well as Paul. So Paul and Epaphras are in prison. And Paul writes a letter to Philemon to encourage him. And there's lots of things that they say in these letters, that Paul says in these letters. But in both letters, Paul is really keen for the Colossians to know this, that the gospel should be proclaimed both to save and continue to transform. It's a moment and a process. So what we're going to do is we're going to take three headings that are going to help us to see how the gospel is both a moment and a process. The first is a seed it is planted in us in a moment. Gospels planted in us in a moment. Two, a tree. It is a process of developing deep roots and growing into a strong tree. And three, a forest. The process of the gospel flourishes when we are in community. So let's start by reading from Philemon verses four through six. Now, if you've got a Bible that I think Abel was handing out Bibles a moment ago, Uh, if you've got one of those Bibles, it is page 1200. And we're looking at Philemon verses four through six. So let me read those. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. I think I went a verse too far but that's alright. And then we'll jump back to Colossians chapter 1 verses 3 through 6. And In your Bibles, that's page 1182. Paul says this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. And about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is faithful, a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who told us of your love in the Spirit. Let me pray. Father God, thank you that you are a God who offers us grace that Jesus has come and he has made a way in which we don't have to do this life in our own strength, in our own power, but we do it by the grace that you give us. We we do it by your gospel. We do it because Jesus has already done it for us. So Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning to see the, the glory of the moment, but also the glory of the process. Of what it looks like to have more and more gospel life in our bones, come, Lord Jesus. We pray and speak to us in power, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so the first one is the seed. Now, the gospel is the seed planted in our hearts. In a moment, now in that moment, we believe that the good news about Jesus has the power to make all things right. That's the heart of the gospel. I was at this church planting course that Matt was talking about a minute ago. And uh, we were, we're hearing some incredible stories, and one of the guests with us who was speaking came to us and said, look, what I'd like to do for one of the sessions is simply just tell you stories of gospel grace at work in people's lives where we are working at the moment. So he's working in the Middle East, he's working in North Africa, uh, and he's working in Eastern Europe, all tough places to be proclaiming the gospel. To be sharing the gospel, and he told this story of a young woman from Syria. Her life had been turned upside down. She was in turmoil. Her home city had been bombed. Uh, she was uh, she she had friends and family who had been hurt, and they were fleeing the violence. So as they flee the violence, and she's feeling just devastated, all they've got is what they've got on their backs. She lays down one night, goes to sleep, and she gets a dream. Now, she has a very vivid dream. And in this dream, she sees a border crossing. And she approaches the border crossing, crosses the border, gets into the other side, and hears this voice say to her, you will return to this place, and you will ask for Mary's son, and Mary's son will give you peace. Peace. So, she thinks, okay, wakes up, not really sure what to make of it, keeps going. And eventually she reaches the border into Lebanon. And she goes across the border, and as she's going across, she suddenly gets a sense of deja vu. I've been here before. I've been to this place, I know where I am. And she realizes it's a dream. And she crosses over and she's in this border town that's under the control of Hezbollah. And if you know anything about Hezbollah, you don't want to be a Christian uh, in that area because it's going to be really dangerous. But she runs up to the nearest woman because in that culture, you you wouldn't run up to a man and ask ask him a question, but you run up to a woman. So she runs up to this woman and she says, do you know Mary's son? And it just so happens that one of the churches that this guy who came and visited us has been working with an underground church in this area has been um, flourishing underground and this woman that she comes and asks this question to is part of the church and she explains yeah I know Mary's son I know who he is his name's Jesus he's the prince of peace and he's come to give you peace And in that moment, her life is transformed forever. Now, for us, we all have our own moments. They might not all be so spectacular. Mine wasn't as spectacular as that. I uh, was uh, going along to church, and um, I liked a girl who went to the youth group. So I decided I'm going to go to the youth group uh, in the evenings because this girl goes to the youth group. And then I thought she was going to go to a camp and uh, in fact, she invited us to the camp, me and my friends. And so we were oh, we'll sign up for that. Signed up, went to the camp. She wasn't there, neither were her friends. And we went to this camp. And every single evening, the gospel was proclaimed. We heard the gospel. And each night, it felt like God was speaking straight into my heart. And by the end of the week, I knew that I needed to give my life to Jesus. So in a moment, my life was changed. Now, you'll have your own story if you're a follower of Jesus. You'll know that moment where Jesus changed your life forever, at that point where you said, I will follow you, Jesus. It's a gospel that the Colossians had already heard and believed through Epaphras, and it's the gospel that had given Philemon faith. In a moment, we go from spiritual orphans to sons and daughters of God. In a moment, we go from guilty to justified. In a moment, we go from ashamed to honored. In a moment, we go from being enemies of God to being friends of God. In a moment, we go from failure to victory. In a moment, we go from blindness to sight. In a moment, we go from death to life. In a moment, we go from hopelessness to hope. In a moment, we go from turmoil to peace. And there's more. In a moment, our life is changed. In a moment, we're given this seed and we have a new life. The gospel is good news. It's good news for the Syrian woman who, was li- who is now living in Lebanon. It's good news for these Colossians. It's good news for us in Pool. And it's good news for the whole world. And now we have a responsibility. Those of us who have received it, like a we need to proclaim it. It's not good news so that we can say a prayer and then hide it away. Now the temptation in our culture is that we will just behave like individuals. We'll just continue to see religion as a private matter. But the Bible doesn't describe it that way ever. It's supposed to be something we do together and something we're supposed to proclaim. We're supposed to tell other people. We're supposed to be ready to answer questions like, do you know Mary's son? Now that's God's design for spreading the gospel all around the world. It's his design for spreading life. God spoke life into being. He spoke to Abraham and he promised him that he would uh, have a nation, he would be the father of a nation that would bless all nations. God spoke through Moses to the people of Israel. He spoke through Joshua to the people of Israel. He spoke through the judges. He spoke through the prophets, these prophets that pointed forward ultimately to a person who would come and save them. And then he spoke through John the Baptist and John the Baptist came proclaiming the... That's fun. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> must love John the Baptist. Is that your favorite Bible character? Um, John the Baptist, he comes with music and he, he proclaims the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And then Jesus himself comes preaching. God comes to the earth preaching, proclaiming the kingdom of God is here. And then when the church is born after the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost, the very first act of the church is this. Peter, the bumbling guy who couldn't get his words out when Jesus was going to the cross, that guy stood up and he proclaimed the gospel through the prophet of Joel. We are made to proclaim the life-giving gospel, and God's design is that we speak it out. Now, the the temptation is enormous, isn't it? To be honest, I can feel a bit awkward and weird trying to explain the the gospel sometimes. And that, that is a cultural thing, but the loving thing for us to do is to tell people about this gospel that can open their eyes and set them free and transform them forever. It would be cruel of us not to. If we really get this, if we really believe this, it would be cruel not to share that gospel is good and it can set you free. There's a really popular quote that's often wrongly attributed to St. Francis of Assisi probably heard it. Share the gospel, and if necessary, use words. That sounds great. It's just not true. It's not true. Time and time again, the Bible makes it clear we need to share our faith with words. Now, let me be totally transparent with you. Sometimes it'll go really well. Sometimes it won't. I was feeling stirred the other day um, while I was in the pub that uh, watching a dire England game, by the way, no offence. England, Germany, nil-nil, pretty pretty poor. Anyway, watching that, and I felt stirred that I should do something during this boredom that was um, a bit more than just sitting watching football. And so this guy comes by. I could tell he was a bit drunk. And I thought, okay, well, I'll try and engage him with some conversation because often drunk guys are the best people to engage in conversation, let's be honest. And I tried to talk to him, and... When, when I start talking to him, my intention is that I get a bit of banter and then we move on, and I can hopefully tell him something about who Jesus is. His intention is let's have a fight. So, so I spend 20 minutes basically begging this guy not to take me outside to fight me. So sometimes it won't go well. But you know, as I left that, there's no, there's no good ending to that story. As I left, I realized something. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to have a dogged determination to keep going and keep going. I felt God say, you know what, Ian? It didn't work out this time, but keep going. Keep going. Keep getting up again and telling, trying to tell people about Jesus. Some will receive its life, and we need to have a dogged persistence in sharing it as we go. So we've seen that the gospel is like a seed, but it's also like a tree. Not only is the gospel planted in our hearts in a moment, but we, when we hear the gospel, it then moves us to a place where we start to grow. You don't put a, a seed in a plant pot and just expect it to do nothing. You hope that it will grow roots and then sprout up and you'll start to see something develop. Colossians: 123, "Continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul prays that Philemon's experience as well is that the gospel would deepen, and that the Colossians here would not move from the gospel. So Paul is desperate. That this little church in this little dusty town in the middle of nowhere could see that they have received the seed of the gospel as their faith. But now their faith in the gospel would grow strong and deep roots to establish more and more life. Christianity is not this. It is not to be saved by the gospel and then just to point to good works. It's not to just then try really hard to become good. It is to be saved by the gospel and to grow by the gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that it will truly change us as we look to the object of our faith, Jesus. To apply this gospel, which Paul says is a gospel of grace, which is a free gift, is to flee from moralism and self-righteousness. That's what we've been saved from. So why put ourselves back under that burden? We can't do it. We can't become more like Jesus and display his goodness in our lives without life-giving power. The life-giving power that comes to us through Jesus, through the gospel. And that's why we need to keep proclaiming it again and again and again. We need to not only preach the gospel to others, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. You don't move on from the gospel. You don't graduate from the gospel. The gospel is always the center point of our Christian faith. The gospel is not just a moment. It's a long, a lifelong process for Christian growth. This is what the process of a gospel-centered life looks like. I will be faithful as I receive God's faithfulness to me. It says, I will increasingly love the people around me as I am loved by God. It says, I will serve God because Jesus has so sacrificially served me. It says, I'm increasingly self-controlled. Why? Because I'm so thankful that Jesus has given his righteousness to me. He was obedient to righteousness. So I can be self-controlled like him. It says, I will be increasingly forgiving as he constantly is forgiving me. It says, I will be more generous with my time and my money because he has so, been so generous and lavishing his grace upon me. You see, you keep looking to Jesus and you keep looking to the gospel that he's given to you and then from there we start to grow. It's not, we don't just jump straight to trying to be good. We look to Jesus who is good and it flows from there. The gospel needs to be constantly preached to us in every single area of life. It's not enough to say to people, well, you're saved now, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to confront you with all of your sin and you've just got to deal with that. Just get better, will you? We don't do that. We point people to Jesus. Jesus. I had a friend in Glasgow who was struggling with comfort eating. Christian guy, but he, he, when he was sad, he just went to the freezer and he would pull out a tub of ice cream and, and he'd, you know, he'd just eat through the whole thing. Or he'd go out to the shops and he'd get a, a big bar of chocolate or whatever it was and he'd he just munch through it. So he came to me and he said, look, Ian, I need your help. Um, will you help me with a gym regime? And will you help me um, to uh, go on some kind of diet? I said, yeah, I'll help you, but you've got to realize that that's not, that's not enough. You've got to get to the root issue. Why are you feeling sad, and why is that driving you to food? So he listened, but it didn't quite go in at that point. And so we did the kind of gym regime thing. I helped him with that, and it started to go really well. So for a few weeks, he was in the gym loads, and then he was... Um, starting to uh, sort out his diet, and it was looking good, and he was starting to feel a bit better about himself. But do you know what? He had a bad day, and when he had a bad day, he ate, he ate a couple of donuts, um, and he stopped going to the gym. Gi- he didn't go to the gym that day, and he got really down on himself. And then, what happened for a few weeks was he had this kind of vicious circle going going on, where He'd do really well at the gym, and he'd be really disciplined. He'd be really disciplined with his diet. And then he'd have a bad day, and he'd feel really down again. And eventually, he realized something. He spoke to somebody else, and somebody else was able to explain it a lot better than me. And he realized, ah, this isn't about the food I eat. This is actually about spiritual food. If I can see and remember and know that Jesus is my bread of life and that he satisfies me and nothing else can, not how I look, not how I feel when I eat, none of that stuff can satisfy me. When I'm feeling sad, the only person I can go to, the only thing I can go to for comfort and for satisfaction, true comfort, true satisfaction, the kind of satisfaction that lasts forever is Jesus, the bread of life. To apply the gospel to ourselves again and again and again, no matter what our vice is, is what will set us free. If we really want breakthroughs in our lives, we've got to keep looking to Jesus, keep looking to him to be our satisfaction. Yes, these other things are good things. We're not saying they're not good things, but what we're saying is they'll never be enough. Only Jesus will be enough. Last week, Lindsay was meeting some friends in London, And so I decided I would go along with her, and I would take Annabelle, and we'd go for a little trip around London. Now, Annabelle's only eight months old, but I decided I'd take her to the Natural History Museum, basically because I wanted to go. So I went along, and we're looking around uh, Natural History Museum, and she's kind of just like, bah, 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 amazed at the lights, amazed at all these big structures and things. Eventually, we get into the Heinz Hall. Now, I hope no one knows how to pronounce that, because I don't. I'm going to go for Heinz. Heinz Hall. It might be Hinza. Who knows? We're in there, and it's got this huge blue whale in it. If you've been to the Natural History Museum recently, you'll have seen it. It's enormous. It's mind, it blows your mind. And so we're looking at this, and she's going, ba, ba, ba. And then um, we keep wandering around. And then I notice at the end of the hall, as uh, we're kind of bumping into each other and uh, to other people and things like that as we're looking up, um, I notice there's these steps. And at the top of the steps is this huge kind of disc. I just wondered, oh, I wonder, what, what's that? So I wander towards this huge disc, and I start going up the, the stairs, and um, I realize, wow, that's a slice of a tree. That tree's pretty big. And so I keep wandering up, and it is enormous. Like, it's absolutely huge. Now, this is a giant sequoia tree, and, it was uh, felled in California in 1893. And when they, when they chopped it down, it was 101 meters tall. Enormous. Absolutely huge. Now, I would never have believed that a tree could be that big. Never, I never would have believed that. And as I was preparing for this, I, I realized, I don't know if I believe that I could be a spiritual giant. I don't know if I believe that I could be a, a big tree. A tree that's grown by the gospel and has turned into this life-giving, incredible structure that people come to for shelter and love. I, I, don't, I don't know if I believe that. And actually, I felt like God was saying, no, you, not only do I believe that for you, I believe that for every single Christian in the world. All of us have the potential to be spiritual giants, every single one of us. Some of us will really doubt that about ourselves, but the problem is that we keep looking to ourselves and we keep comparing with others instead of looking to Jesus. If we keep looking to Jesus, if we keep looking to him, to be our satisfaction in everything that we do, if we look at, keep going back to the gospel again and again and again and again, if we keep proclaiming it to ourselves over and over and over again, then we can become spiritual giants. Every single one of us. Have you stopped believing that the gospel has the power to grow your faith? Has your growth stunted? I just want you to know this every single one of us has the potential for fruitfulness and growth by the power of the gospel. We are called to flourish. The gospel is a moment and it's a process. We're supposed to grow into big trees. But it's also a forest. Giant trees aren't found exposed and alone. They exist in flourishing forests. Let me remind you of um, what Philemon 6 says. It says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. At the end of Acts 1, we read that 3,000 people have their moment in Jerusalem when the gospel is established in their hearts. Then, at the beginning of chapter two, we see that gospel life immediately is established. The church is born. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, he said, that, said this on these verses. He says, life expresses itself. You see, when the gospel is planted in our hearts, the immediate and right response is that life would start to grow out of that seed in a forest, in a community, together. Augustine said, you can't have God as your father if you do not have church as your mother. Like trees and healthy forests, the gospel is constantly multiplying and reproducing life. Paul is so keen for the Colossians to know that life multiplies and it flourishes in community. Now, in our individualistic society, I think this is, I don't think we can talk about this enough because the temptation for us is to think, well, religion's a private matter and we are individual people with our own rights and we, we have our own space and we do our own things all the time and, and I'm gonna make decisions based on what is best for me. But the gospel is, urges us to see that we're supposed to make decisions not based on what's best for me, but what's best for others. Think about it. Jesus gave himself up for us. Without it, the gospel doesn't exist. And we now are supposed to live that out, giving ourselves up for others. Glasgow's city emblem has a big oak tree right in the middle of it. And underneath, there's a motto that says, let Glasgow flourish. Now, it used to say, let Glasgow flourish by thy preaching of thy word and the praising of thy name. I think St. Mungo, the founder of Glasgow, he got that spot on. If we want villages and towns and cities to truly flourish... We need to have the gospel proclaimed again and again and again and again and again. Now, unfortunately, Glasgow now only has one to one and a half percent of people who go along to a gospel-centered church on any given Sunday morning. The numbers are terrifying. And in fact, half of those people are over the age of 65, and I believe that is because the gospel has been lost from much of the church in just 3 generations. In the first generation they believed, people believed and they lived it out and they proclaimed it. In the second generation they assumed the gospel. And that led to a place where people started to just do church out of moral obligation. About it was about becoming it became about being a good person. And so the third generation came along, and they looked at it all, and they went, what is this self-righteous, religious nothing? I don't want anything to do with it, and I don't blame them. We need to proclaim the gospel again and again and again and again and again. We must never tire of proclaiming the gospel As soon as we do, it leads to spiritual death. But if we continue to proclaim this simple gospel, it leads to life. It leads us to Jesus. It leads us to eternity with Him. It leads us to flourishing villages and towns and cities where people are not selfish anymore but live sacrificial, gospel-centered lives. Now, Paul helps us to see that partnership isn't just local church, it's also worldwide. The relationships between Paul, who's in Roman chains, Epaphras, who's also in prison, Philemon, who's a leader of the Colossian church now, or one of the leaders, and Timothy, who is Paul's apprentice, and the church in Colossae, are vital to all of their growth. So Paul, this giant of faith, He'd helped Epaphras to plant this church and now he's helping Philemon and the others to strengthen it. And he's saying that actually all these relationships are vital to his growth and theirs. Um, As you will probably know, we're part of a, a movement called Advance and our tagline is planting and strengthening churches. And that really is happening. We have churches all around the world cheering us on. We have people who come and help us with our kids' work. We have people who come and help us with worship. We have people who come and help us with preaching. Matt today is helping another church in London in Ealing. He's helping them with uh, bringing in elders. We are in a position where we, I am so thankful. Lindsay and I prayed for this when we were in Glasgow that we would be part of a movement like this and we feel like Advance has answered those prayers, that God has answered those prayers through Advance. Let me just give you one example of the way in which we feel that we're being partnered with when we go to Glasgow. Next month, in December, I've booked up to go to Glasgow to go and pray and to, to spend time just thinking about what is it that we're going to do in Glasgow. Let's, let's think about strategy and, and pray. What, what is it that God wants us to do? What's the vision? And Matt, Matt Hosier, who's our uh, senior pastor here, if you don't know him, he, he's coming with me. To do that. That's incredible. All we are right now is an idea. Let me be brutally honest. That's all we are. We're an idea. We're a vision that God's given us. To be a church in Glasgow. It doesn't benefit him. To come and spend time with us. And do that. But he does it anyway. And I see it time and time again with an advance. We should be so thankful for that. So thankful. There is genuine partnership in advance, and we're called to genuine partnership in the local church, and I see that too. I'm so thankful for you guys. I'm so thankful for Gateway. I'm so thankful that God brought us to this place. I'm thankful that you're supporting us as we go. I'm thankful that we've got, I've been given the opportunity to pray with you, to hear God's word from, from some of you, from, uh, to be able to, to just spend time with you and, and be loved by you in all sorts of different ways. That's partnership. We're doing it together. We're like a little forest cheering each other on, helping each other out, where there is life being given to us. Now, just as we wrap up, if there is anyone here who hasn't yet received a gospel seed in their heart, please do come and speak to me. I'm going to be down here while we're worshiping. Um, Come and I'd love to speak to you. Why don't you come and speak to me? We can pray together and, and, um, and invite God to come into your life and reveal this new life to you, this glorious freedom that we can have in Jesus. Father God, thank you so much that you are so good to us. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you don't just plant the seed and then it doesn't grow until we get to heaven. But instead, you, you come and you give us life, and you give us more and more of the gospel and as you do we grow and we grow into these beautiful big trees and lord i pray that every single person here would know deep down in their hearts that they can be a spiritual giant would you give us faith for that would you give us confidence not in ourselves, not looking to ourselves, not looking to our own abilities, but looking to you, Jesus, who has already done it. Thank you, God, that it's your righteousness we depend on. Thank you, God, that it is your power we depend on. Thank you, God, that you are with us, that you are for us, that you love us, that you are bringing us together with other trees, other plants, and bringing more and more life to us. So we pray for more life in this place as we worship together, as we stand together to worship in Jesus' wonderful name, Amen. Amen. Brilliant. Thanks, Ian. What I'd love us to do is to, to focus in on that on that seed. Focus. On